Hello, 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 and welcome to English Learning for Curious Minds by Leonardo English, the show where you can listen to fascinating stories and learn weird and wonderful things about the world at the same time as improving your English. I'm Alistair Budge, and today it is part three of our three-part mini-series on Daphne Caruana Galizia. If you haven't listened to parts one or two yet, well, go back and do that, as they will give you the background you need to understand the story. In part one, we talked about who Daphne was, what she wrote about, and some of the peculiarities of the tiny Mediterranean island of Malta. Then in part two, we looked at the criminal investigations into her murder, who was suspected, how it was clear that there were leaks coming from the police, and who was eventually arrested in connection with her brutal assassination. And in today's episode, part three, we will look at the final chapter of the story, the trials and investigations into the alleged people behind the murder, what has been revealed, what questions still need answers, and ask ourselves whether the truth will ever be revealed about who killed Daphne. But before we get right into today's episode, I want to remind you that you can become a member of Leonardo English and follow along with the subtitles, the transcript, and its key vocabulary over on the website, which is leonardoenglish.com. Membership of Leonardo English gives you access to all of our learning materials, all of our bonus episodes, so that's more than 300 different episodes now, as well as two new ones every week, plus access to our awesome private community where we do live events, challenges, and much, much more. So, if you are ready to take the next step on your English learning journey, the place to go is leonardoenglish.com. Okay then, part three. So, we are picking up our story at the start of 2020 over two years after Daphne was murdered. As a reminder, in November of 2019, the police arrested the prominent businessman Jorgen Fennec for being the mastermind behind the murder. Fennec said he has information about who else was involved in the murder, information that will implicate those at the very top of the Maltese political establishment, including some of the Prime Minister's closest allies. But, in exchange, he wants a pardon. He wants to avoid prison. He isn't granted one. He isn't given a pardon. There are big protests. The Prime Minister, Joseph Muscat, is forced to resign, and he is replaced by a man called Robert Abela. The police are proudly declaring that they have the men responsible for the crime in custody. So, you might think that it would be a simple case of a criminal trial and sentencing the guilty parties. It was far from simple. Instead, five years after her murder, the multi-state has still not convicted anybody with being the mastermind of the brutal assassination. And the allegations remain that key people involved in the murder are not only walking free, but still holding a powerful grip over the country's political and judicial systems. So, what do we know? What has happened so far? Why did the Maltese police arrest Jorgen Fennec, the businessman? And why did they then arrest Kish Gembri? Well, it first starts with Vince Muscat, one of the three gangsters who was arrested in the potato shed. As 
a reminder, he is not related to the Prime Minister. They just share the same common surname. So, Vince Muscat. Sometime in April of 2018, he starts speaking to the police. He says, perhaps unsurprisingly, that he and his accomplices, the DeGiorgio brothers, were paid by a third party to carry out the murder. This third party's name, this person's name, was Melvin Toma. Muscat was promised to be paid a total of 150,000 euros to kill Daphne, a 30,000 down payment to deposit, and the remainder after she was killed. What's more, Muscat would claim that Toma had been paying the three men, via intermediaries, a weekly allowance while they were in prison to keep quiet, to not talk to the police. Melvin Toma was merely a taxi driver. He was clearly acting on someone else's orders. When he was arrested by the police, he revealed that he was acting on the orders of Jorgen Fennec, a businessman and one of the wealthiest men on the island. Fennec, according to Thoma, wanted Daphne to be killed because she was going to publish damning accusations about Fennec's uncle. Or at least this was what he told Thoma. It would transpire that Daphne did know something revelatory, something very surprising. But it wasn't about Fennec's uncle. It was about Fennec himself and his links to Keith Gembri, the former chief of staff of the prime minister, and Conrad Mitzi, another senior member of the Maltese government. What Daphne had discovered was that Jorgen Fennec was the owner of a mysterious company called Seventeen Black which had been named as a company that was going to pay Schembri and Mitzi's offshore companies a total of $2 million. Jorgen Fennec, despite having a background in casinos and hotels, had recently entered the energy business, and his company had been awarded the rights to build a new power station in Malta. Who would have been involved in that decision? Well, at the time, the energy minister was Konrad Mitzi and Kish Gembri was the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff. And Daphne had discovered that these two government officials had set up secretive companies and bank accounts with the stated purpose of receiving money from none other than the man who was set to make millions from this new power station. Mitzi and Schembri, the senior politicians, would deny any wrongdoing, saying that they set up these secretive companies and bank accounts for honest, personal reasons. But it certainly did seem like unusual behaviour, exactly the sort of behaviour one might do if, for example, one wanted to receive a very large bribe. This information about this link, I should add, was never published in Daphne's lifetime. It was only released by a brave collection of journalists who meticulously went through Daphne's notes and research and eventually published this story in late 2019, just before Fennec and Schembri's arrest. And as Vince Muscat, the bomb fixer, and Melvin Toma, the middleman, started talking, more and more of the details of the murder plot started to be revealed. I should say, of course, that this is their testimony, and there are the obvious question marks over the truth, but this is what has been revealed so far. 
Shortly after being asked by Jorgen Fennec to arrange the murder, Melvin Toma would claim that he was given a job working for the Family Affairs Ministry, the government, as a driver. He was told to turn up to Castile, the office of the Prime Minister, and after a two-minute interview, he was hired on a salary of €1,200 a month. The salary might not have been super high, but the best bit about his new job was that he never actually had to turn up. It was a completely phantom government job. Now, these kinds of phantom jobs in Malta are, unfortunately, not so incredibly uncommon. But to be handed one, ostensibly for arranging a murder, would be peculiar. And it certainly seems like a coincidence. What's more, Toma would testify that during one of his trips to Castile, to the office of the Prime Minister, he was told to pass on a message to the three men in jail, the De Georgia brothers and Vince Muscat, that they would be released from jail soon, and they would each be given a million euros. Toma starts to think that people at the highest levels of the Maltese political system were involved with the murder, and are involved in the subsequent cover-up. Combined with his knowledge that it was the powerful businessman, Fennec, who paid him to arrange the murder, Toma starts to get more and more paranoid, thinking that he is going to be killed or silenced by powerful forces. It certainly seems like warranted, justified suspicion, especially as Fennec's behaviour becomes even more erratic. Although it would turn out that this erratic behaviour was partly due to a crippling cocaine addiction. So, Toma starts recording his conversations with Fennec. He keeps an old ice cream tub of evidence with him at all times as protection. He tells Fennec that he has this big box of evidence, promising that he will send copies of it to policemen he trusts if anything happens to him. So, starting in early 2018, only a few months after the murder, and after Vince Muscat starts talking to the police, Toma knows he might be arrested. After all, he was involved, and Vince Muscat, who is in police custody and is starting to talk to the police, knows who he is. But more than this, Toma too is receiving inside information about the investigation, information that isn't publicly available. He knows what's going on. But he hopes that he knows too much, and that the powerful forces that he believes ordered the murder will save him from the police. Eventually, however, his luck runs out. On the 14th of November of 2019, he is arrested, and it's his arrest that leads to the arrest of Jorgen Fennec, and then Kishkemri. Even more bizarrely, perhaps, it would be claimed that after the arrests of Fennec and Shkemri, Shkemri arranged for a letter to be sent to Fennec, where Fennec was instructed to claim that it was Chris Cardona, the former minister of the economy, who had ordered the killing. Chris Cardona has vehemently denied these claims, and it should be said that he has not been questioned or charged with anything. I know that there are a lot of names and dates here, but the point to underline is that there are fingers being pointed in all directions, and a lot of paranoid people fearing that someone will spill the beans and reveal everything. So, 
what is the current status of the investigation? Kish Kembri, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, was questioned and released, with the police stating that the police at this stage see no reason to hold Mr Shkembri under arrest. He has been arrested and questioned regarding several other allegations of corruption, but as far as the investigation of Daphne's murder is concerned, he has not been charged with anything. Jorgen Fennec, on the other hand, has remained in custody maintaining that he has evidence that will implicate other powerful players in Malta's political scene. As of the time of writing, and as a reminder, this is five years after Daphne was murdered, the trial is ongoing. Three men, the De Giorgio brothers and Vince Muscat, have been charged with the killing, and they are currently serving their sentences, but they were merely the executors of the plan, the people who planted and detonated the bomb. Who was ultimately responsible? Well, there was a public inquest in July of 2021, which did assign responsibility, but not to any one individual. This 437-page report named the Maltese state as being responsible for Daphne's death, writing that it created an atmosphere of impunity generated from the highest echelons of the administration inside Castile, the tentacles of which then spread to other institutions such as the police and regulatory authorities, leading to a collapse in the rule of law. In other words, there was a culture of corruption where the people at the top thought that they were untouchable, which led to a total breakdown in the official workings in the rule of law. The report stated that Daphne provided the only real opposition in the country, and the state's failure to protect her from danger meant that it had to accept responsibility for her death. Despite whatever truth there might have been behind this report, it did nothing to bring Daphne's killers any closer to justice. And were Daphne to be writing today, her inbox would be just as full of allegations of corruption. Indeed, if you were to have opened almost any newspaper in Malta over the past few months, you would have found stories of suspicious-sounding deals, of an alleged kidnapper being given a contract to supply cars to the Justice Department, of the same alleged kidnapper doing a property deal with the current Prime Minister, of politicians creating phantom jobs for their lovers or constituents. And almost all newspapers in Malta are significantly more friendly to the government than Daphne ever was. I wonder, what would Daphne have written about the investigations of her own murder? What would she have written about the lawyer working for state prosecution who then switched to Jorgen Fennec's defence? What would she have written about one of Jorgen Fennec's lawyers admitting that he had tried to bribe a journalist from the Times of Malta with an envelope of 500 euro notes? and that his only excuse for this would be that he had never dealt with a journalist before. What would she have written about the fact that this lawyer was acquitted of any wrongdoing, and continued to represent her alleged killer? What would she have written about the fact that the middleman, Melvin Thuma, was found stabbed several times in his apartment in 2020, after it was revealed that he was testifying in court? What would she have written about Kish Gemri managing to permanently lose his mobile phone at 5 o'clock in the morning, 
30 minutes before the police arrived to arrest him. What would she have written about the constant leaks from the police to the alleged killers? And what would she think today about the extent to which her murder had done anything to change her country or its political situation? Joseph Muscat, the Prime Minister condemned by the report as being responsible for creating a culture of impunity, is already in the process of being rehabilitated and has taken on the role of chairman for the Association of Maltese Football Clubs. Many political commentators see this as being just the first step of his return to political power. And has public opinion shifted? The public were given the chance to have their say in a general election in May of 2022. For some, this was an opportunity to get rid of the corrupt influences at the top of the Maltese political system. The people spoke with their votes, but the message was clear. It doesn't really matter. The Labour Party, the party that came to power under Joseph Muscat, whose senior members included Kishkembri and Konrad Mitzi, won with an even greater percentage of the popular vote than in 2017 or in 2013. Although the voter turnout, the percentage of the population that actually voted, was the lowest in 67 years, it was a clear message that the plethora of allegations of corruption weren't enough to really change people's minds. So, what's next? Five years on, the trial continues. Is there going to be enough evidence for a conviction of anyone of any serious power? There certainly seems to be enough evidence, but the past five years suggest that the links between the police, the judiciary, the political system, and the world of business are so close, so tight, that it's optimistic to think that there will be any major developments. Anyone who was involved has now had plenty of time to cover up their tracks, destroy evidence, or make sure that their lost mobile phone will never be found again. It's very sad to say, but perhaps the last words Daphne ever wrote are as appropriate now as they were 30 minutes before she was killed. There are crooks everywhere you look now. The situation is desperate. Okay then, with that ominous quote comes the end of this episode and the end of this mini-series on the murder of Daphne Caruana Galizia. I hope it's been an interesting one and that it might have shone some light on this dark case of a brutal attack on this brave journalist. As always, I would love to know what you thought of this episode. Have you been to Malta? Did you know about Daphne Caruana Galizia? Do you think the people responsible for her death will go unpunished? What more can be done, both by individuals and governments, to stop the senseless murder of journalists? I would love to hear your perspective. For the members among you, you can head right into our community forum, which is at community.leonardoenglish.com, and get chatting away to other curious minds. And as a final reminder, if you enjoyed this episode, and you're wondering where to get all of our bonus episodes, plus the transcripts, subtitles, and key vocabulary, then the place to go for that is leonardoenglish.com. And if you aren't yet ready to become a member, but you would like to do something to support the show, then I would love for you to think about leaving a review or a star rating on your favorite podcast app. It takes less than 30 seconds to do, but they are super helpful, and each one brings a smile to my face. 
You've been listening to English Learning for Curious Minds by Leonardo English. I'm Alistair Budge. You stay safe and I'll catch you in the next episode.